Welcome to St. James on this Good Friday. I am James Henry, the pastor here at St. James on the West End in Alexandria, Virginia. And wherever you are, in person or online, we welcome you tonight. Uh, we welcome you to our live experience of Good Friday, but also if you're watching later on or if you're listening later on on our sermon podcast, uh, welcome, welcome. We know that God's spirit is big enough. Uh, if it's big enough to cover the whole universe, we assume that it's big enough to cover wherever you are and connect you with us and us with you. I wonder if we could take just a, a moment and uh, pray together before I bring tonight's message. Loving and vulnerable God, you are always with us, even when we do not know it. The Apostle Paul said that in you we live and move and have our being. There is never a time we're not in you, of you, around you, and we are meant to manifest your presence as your son Jesus did. Help us, O oh Lord, to be present as tough as this day may be, as it is to face death and our limitations. Let us be present to the death of Jesus in ways that will help us see ways to live more fruitfully and faithfully as your people. We ask this in the name of the crucified one. Amen. You know, one of the important skills that they taught me uh, many years ago uh, first in uh, licensing school when I was licensed to preach. Uh, I was sent to licensing school in 1983. Um, and then when I went off to seminary and finished seminary, they taught me how to take the story of the crucifixion, the resurrection, and to make a beautiful theology out of it. Uh, Theology, if you just get to the root of the word theology, it really just means talking about God, uh, talking about the experience. Uh, but it makes it more comfortable for us if we can hang all that happened, pun intended, uh, on our own ideas about what it was, rather than the truth of the death, the painful and brutal, violent killing and execution of a man on a cross. The raw truth may just feel like too much to take, too much to absorb. I can tell you for myself that with all that training, I can keep myself pretty anesthetized through Holy Week. 
ready to handle Good Friday, just hanging there long enough so I can get to Easter and resurrection, new life. Woo! Um, if only I don't have to think about the only way to get to resurrection, which is through the crucifixion. Uh, my favorite preaching teacher, Bobby McLean, when I took, uh, I took preaching in the black tradition, uh, Dr. McLean, uh, Bobby McLean was a powerful, he's, he's dead now, what a loss he was because he was a, he was a powerful preacher and a civil rights activist. Um, but I still remember sitting in the class with a number of my African-American siblings uh, and, and one other uh, white person like me in the Preaching in the Black Tradition class when he said, we all know you cannot get to Easter without Good Friday. There is no resurrection without crucifixion. There is no new life. There's no new life without death. So the hardness of Good Friday, if you will, for me, is that, that sense of what was destroyed that day. You know, the promise of a man somewhere between the age of 30 and 33. Um, we know he began his ministry when he was 30, and depending upon which gospel you use and how you count the years, he was in ministry between one and three years, so he was maybe 31, he was maybe 33. We don't know, and it's not important. Uh, it's not important. But somewhere along the way, this man who came and confronted the powers and spoke love and hope, who uh, spoke truth, who brought healing and reconciliation, um, was an affront to a religious system who liked to be in authority and control. It's like any other religious system, quite frankly. Uh, I serve in a religious system that likes its power and control, and it can wield that. You know, uh, I've been told more than once by bishops, and, uh, uh, but particularly by my immediate supervisors, to recognize that I was here at, uh, at the desire and will of the bishop, and I could be somewhere else at the desire and will of the bishop, because power and authority are theirs to do what they wish. I don't mean to make it sound crass, but the truth is, all religious authorities don't take well to affront. We like to control the narrative. We like to say what Good Friday is all about, and we like to do it in theological ways that perhaps keep us at work, keep us in a job, because after all, who's got the theological training? <laughs> I'm standing right here. Uh, now that might seem just a, just a little bit on the crass side, and maybe it is. But the religious authorities were just like religious authorities today. If they said do, do one thing, they expect you to do it. And if you did something else, 
they weren't too happy. And the religious authorities in the first century did not appreciate Jesus stirring the pot, partially because it was an affront to their authority and partially, I do believe, they were worried about the people because you get the Romans ticked off and they'll start killing you. And they were, whatever you want to say about Roman authority, they were a killing machine. It was hard to beat them. They had a system of warfare that was uh, daunting. Nations did not want to be on the wrong end of that. And these religious authorities wanted to protect the people from these weird ideas about loving your neighbor as yourself, but also from being wiped out by these Romans. And Romans didn't take too well to insurrection. And large crowds starting to go in a direction other than the direction they wanted the sheep to go. So there were plenty of powers arrayed against Jesus' message of hope and liberation and healing because he didn't do it the way they wanted it done. And the best way to shut him up was to kill him. Now, in a way that that death is horrifying to us. Maybe more than in a way. Because if they can kill Jesus, they can kill anyone. That's what the other disciples had to be thinking when they went into hiding. They can kill Jesus, they can kill any of us. We're unknown followers. We're the 12. Well, the 11 now. We, we're the unknown. Jesus was known. The crowds were on his side and then suddenly they weren't. No wonder they went into hiding. We don't want to die. But what did Jesus teach us over and over again when he was alive? Is that we have to die. We have to die. And not just the physical death that comes later. But the death to all our ideas that we could know who God is and contain God neatly into our package. God doesn't fit into the St. James package, doesn't fit into the United Methodist package or the Church Universal package because God is bigger than all of that. We get to get a glimpse of the ultimate truth, but the ultimate truth is bigger than any of us. And so if we watch really closely and are really present in a moment, I can see each of you in this room with me. I can't see you on the other end of the line. That's the, that's the challenge about the other end of our internet connection. I can't see you. But I can see an aspect, if I look closely and am present enough, I can see an aspect of God in those who are gathered in this space and in every blade of grass and every tree, including the one that came down on our property earlier this week when the wind blew through and knocked it over. God is in all those places reflected. So one of the things that died when Jesus died was all the imagined ways that God works. Now we've, we've put theology together over the last 2,000 years, but if Jesus represented God 
and he was meant to be the warrior king, at least that's what was expected, that would lead his people to freedom. That had to die with Jesus. Because that's not how God's love works. You can't violently force anyone, despite what the Crusades tried to do, you cannot violently force anyone to love, to believe in love. I can't force Linda to love me. She was wacky enough 31 years ago to sign on the bottom line and become my wife and has loved me ever since. And I, her, through the tough and the easy times, and sometimes probably more than others. It's hard work, but it requires a vulnerability because that's the only way love works. There is, if there's no risk, there's no love. I'm sorry to say, if there's no risk, there's no love. There's like, there's lust, there's control, or any of those kinds of illusions you want to attach to it, but love cannot be born without risk. And that's what the incarnation, the birth, Jesus at Christmas time was all about, is taking an amazing risk. At a time when infant mortality was higher than it is today, much higher, Jesus was born among us, and he lived to adulthood. And then he risked it all to talk about the God that he knew and to show us the way that God was not the God that sat like Zeus on a throne to throw lightning bolts at us. But this was the God who stopped at the side of the road and knelt down and talked to somebody. This was the God who sat down and let children come and sit on his lap. This was the God who dried the tears of the broken. This is the God who wants to bring healing to us, and not just physical healing. Because the word to heal comes from the very root to make whole. God would love for us to be whole. But in order to be whole, we've got to die to some of our illusions about how God's going to fix things. And realize we're called to risk, just like God did, loving. And that the more we risk, the greater the chances are some part of us is going to die. I have said this before, but it's a truth. It's a story from my own life, and that is when Linda went in the hospital and I didn't know what was going on, a part of me died. The part that thought I had some control, some authority, that I would always have, that Linda would never leave me. And physically, I don't think she ever will divorce or walk away from me. (laughs) But someday one of us is going to die. And I 
lost a piece of my illusions about life in those 34 days. Some illusions about death and how close it is to any of us. Now that could have made me bitter or angry or broken. It did make me a little bit broken. Maybe a lot broken. But the wonderful thing it did for me is break me open. And you see the death of Jesus broke the disciples open to see the world through new eyes. What they had put on Jesus, and there were 12 different opinions about who Jesus was supposed to be. King, Messiah, teacher, master rabbi, healer, son of God, all of those titles, attach them all you want. But attach them as you will, Jesus broke the mold of what it is to be Messiah, to be the Son of God, to be the eternal Christ, because he died. And he did it to show us love. He gave it all so we could see that love requires that level of risk and vulnerability And there are no promises. There are no promises. God protects us, not even, not even Jesus. God protects us from nothing and sustains us in everything. In everything. In the darkest night, of their lives, the disciples thought it was over. They had to rethink everything they imagined to be true. Good Friday is an invitation to all of us, an affront that says, perhaps you need to rethink who you think God is. If you're waiting God to, for God to punish the bad guys, and we all have our list of who the bad guys are, and they look different. Could be a political party, could be people from another country, different religions, all those things. We got a list. Bad guys. We're waiting for God to punish them. Got another thing coming. Because Jesus showed us God would die first before calling the army out to obliterate whoever is perceived to be God's enemy. And in the Gospel of Mark, the very first person to recognize that Jesus was God's son was not a religious person to begin with at all. It was the Roman centurion at the foot of the cross, the same one who crucified him, or at least supervised it. Centurions would have supervised it. When Jesus gave up his last breath, he said, surely this was God's son. 
Surely this was God's son. Not in power and glory with lightning bolts and thunder and loud booming voices from the heavens, but in the quiet last breath on a cross. That's what God looks like. Risk and vulnerability and love inviting us to the same life and perhaps the same death. But perhaps the little death first, learning to let go of the things that are the illusions we cling to so we might really see what is true. That above all else, Jesus loved us. Above all else, God loves us and will risk it all. Risk it all for that. I don't have an assignment for you. You see, life is going to challenge your illusions. Perhaps it's challenged some of your illusions tonight. But the things you are sure are going to go your way don't always happen that way. The things about which you are sure in life maybe aren't as sure as you thought they were. The risk you took might not pay off the way you expected. You are going to have your illusions broken again and again and again. And God will be with you in it. The same God who protects you from nothing and sustains you in everything.